0: You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews.
1: All right. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the Senior Care Pharmacist December 2022 podcast. Today, my name is Kelly Ulin and I am here with Donna Bartlett and we are recording with two authors from a study that will be published in this month's journal. We're going to be talking with Aparna Krishnamurthy and Tasha Woodall about pharmacist identification of older patients' priorities in a home-based primary care program. So Aparna and Tasha, welcome to the podcast. Please tell us a little bit about both of yourselves.
2: Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Aparna Krishnamurthy. And during the time of this project, when we were Conducting it, I was a PGY2 geriatrics and academia resident at the Mountain Area Health Education Center in Asheville, North Carolina. Since that time, I have moved on to take on a clinical pharmacy specialist position at the Fayetteville VA Medical Center in Fayetteville, North Carolina, specializing in women's health and geriatrics.
0: And this is Tasha Woodall, and I am still with MAHEC, or the Mountain Area Health Education Center in Asheville, North Carolina, serve as the program director for the geriatrics PGY2, and I also co-direct our MAHEC Center for Healthy Aging clinical adjunct faculty with the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy and the UNC School of Medicine.
1: All right. Well, thank you both for being here today. Let's just dive right in. I'm really excited to talk to you about your study today. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what did you do and how did you become interested in this study?
0: Yeah, I can take that one first. So, home-based primary care. This was sort of a, a marriage of two different concepts that I think make a lot of sense in the way that they fit together. So, I'll kind of introduce each of them separately. Out of our work with the Center for Healthy Aging at Mayhack, we recognized this very real need, which I think is present in a lot of communities, rural and urban alike, related to care for vulnerable, high-risk older adults who are either purely homebound or, at the very least, sort of mobility limited. And so home-based primary care is a model that we did not invent. This has been studied in, in many settings, including some large academic medical centers like Johns Hopkins, and certainly in the VA system, but does a really nice job of meeting the needs of medically and socially complex older people. So our home-based primary care program was launched in 2020, and not long after, we had this conversation about wanting to be more intentional about centering What was most important to each of the individual patients enrolled in our program, which I think there's a lot of attention being paid to that recently, and probably many listeners will be familiar with the IHI 4M's movement so, mentation, mobility, medication, and of course, that fourth M, what matters most to the patient. And so We had interest in this sort of structured framework of eliciting from patients and their caregivers what their very specific and measurable health outcome goals are and what their care preferences are. And by care preferences, I mean what types of care are they willing and able to receive versus what types of care, what sorts of things that we ask them to do do they find burdensome and not worth it to meet the goals that they have set for themselves. And that structured framework is patient priorities care, PPC is how it's abbreviated in the manuscript. And that was co-developed by some geriatricians at Baylor College of Medicine and at Yale and has been published about pretty extensively um, prior to this manuscript. So we worked with some of the developers of that and basically integrated it pretty systematically into our home-based primary care program. So um As a part, I can probably tell you more about the the primary purpose was just looking at that implementation and what will be especially relevant to pharmacists is the fact that the pharmacists on our home-based primary care team were the ones leading the charge in having these facilitated structured conversations with patients about what matters most to them and reporting that back to the team so that we could align care with those priorities. So we also asked patients some questions about how they felt about having that conversation and how they felt about having it with a pharmacist in particular.
3: Tasha, it's Donna, and I was just curious, is this unique that you had pharmacists or was that part of the model that you had looked at from other areas?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Home-based primary care programs are extremely heterogeneous in terms of the composition of their teams. So we're not the only ones who incorporate pharmacists. I, I think the VA. Many programs include pharmacists, possibly all of them. Aparna may be able to answer that question better than I since she's in the VA setting. I think a lot of those pharmacists are doing more retrospective chart reviews. Our pharmacists are paired with physicians and go out for every home visit, so they're really integrated as a crucial part of the team. And then other programs and other places do not include pharmacists, but all programs are interdisciplinary to some degree. So they have probably some form of therapy, a handyman, you know, it it varies quite a bit.
2: I would agree with that. Just to add that from the VA perspective, most of the role pharmacists play on the home-based primary care program team is going to be a lot more of comprehensive interdisciplinary med reviews, a lot of chart reviews behind the scenes, maybe some telephonic interactions with patients based on my experience working in that setting. And then I think what was unique with Mayhek and our HBPC program there for short is that we are more interactive, more on the front lines going with a physician or another advanced care practitioner to the house to actually provide care for the patient directly on a face-to-face setting, which has been all the more rewarding in itself to be able to kind of have that unique opportunity to build rapport with the patient. And then I think from another perspective to add is this is kind of the first study that we found that actually allowed pharmacists to play the role to conduct these type of conversations with patients. Patient priority care conversations in previous studies were conducted probably by more of the primary care provider themselves, more in an ambulatory care setting. And so this is pretty unique that this was one of the first studies where we saw it more in a home-based primary care setting and also that pharmacists were conducting these conversations.
1: Yes, I have to share. It was part of what made me so excited to get to interview you guys after reading your study. There's a couple of quotes I want to highlight from your manuscript for the listeners today. One of them was, positive outcomes must still be defined in terms of what is meaningful to the patients. And I think that's a really impactful sentence. I would like to see more studies be, you know, be looking at that. And can you talk a little bit about what the biggest challenge that you faced with this study was and and how did you tackle it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to kind of take on that question first, but When we started doing these conversations, I think one of the biggest challenges was when we were kind of working more on implementing the conversation and more like an organic way to every new patient we had enrolled into our home-based primary care program. I think when we first started, our current study kind of highlights only like the first 30 people that we actually had done these conversations with. And initially in the beginning of my residency year about, I think it was that time that we were still kind of coming down from the incline of COVID. And so we weren't often doing like a lot of face-to-face interactions and, or if we were doing face-to-face interactions, the initial visits were more of like a getting to know the patient where the physician or the, you know, nurse practitioner was doing more of their you know, initial assessment of the patient, getting to know them. The pharmacist was there to definitely help a lot with the medication aspects and, and everything else. And we might just ask some of the questions that were from that PPC template, which is found in one of the tables in our manuscript, but not necessarily get to sit down and do the whole thing. And so sometimes the pharmacist wouldn't be able to actually meet the patient for the first time, we might just like call them on the phone and then do the conversation. And I did find that it was kind of hard to just kind of organically get into a conversation that talks about the patient's primary goals or what their most specific want is from their healthcare provider, just from like, kind of like in a way, calling them on the phone without them actually meeting me or being able to build rapport with me. So through the project and through the year, when we started enrolling more patients into our study and into our program, and then building and conducting these type of conversations, I found it was a lot better to kind of meet them face to face first. And then once they kind of build that rapport with me within the first set or second visit, be able to actually do the conversation. And I learned over time that it doesn't necessarily have to be the full structure where you kind of ask every single question, kind of like an interview, but rather more like this, where we're kind of organically and conversationally talking with each other and just really trying to show the patient that you're really wanting to build that connection with them and just getting to know them. And then it it helped them open up more over time to really want to share what their wants were, what they found were their most important things that they valued, what their most important goals or what they really wanted out of their, their care from our team. And so I think that was just kind of the, one of the growing points that I found over time or the learning points I found through the process. And I definitely would love to know if Tasha kind of had something similar of uh, experience, but that was what mine was when I was doing a lot of these conversations.
0: Yeah, I think having these conversations about what matters to to patients, that's not earth-shattering probably for a lot of listeners and a lot of people who work in this realm of geriatrics and senior care. So, a lot of it is pretty intuitive. The fact that there is a little bit more structure to it has some trade-offs. And I think in the beginning, the disadvantage is that it feels very kind of scripted and robotic, and that's really the last thing you want it to be. (laughs) So there's always that pain point in the beginning of leaning into it. And thankfully, I think in our experience, it does not take more than maybe a couple of conversations to start to find your way through, and it feels a lot more comfortable. But I think anybody trying to implement something similar, regardless of the setting that they practice in, is going to find that they glean so much wonderful information about patients by asking all of these very comprehensive questions that become so pivotal to the recommendations that they make or the care that they provide to those patients. But I think everyone's going to find that in adhering to that, that it feels like a lot at first and it's it's difficult to know how to guide people through that without sounding too scripted. Yeah. It just takes practice.
1: Can you share with us one of the things that you communicated with the team to ensure that one of your patients' care was aligned with what matters most to them? Is there like an example that sticks out in your mind from an interaction you had during the study? Ooh, that's a great question. Aparna, do you have one offhand?
2: I actually think I remember one. That's a great question. So I think Something we did in the manuscript, which was nice, was kind of pull some quotes that we both and also just kind of give a sidebar shout out to my co-resident at the time, Autumn, who also helped do a lot of these conversations. But I think we all found like some of the connections there that when we like one patient comes to mind when I talked not specifically with her, but I talked with her niece when we first went to visit them. And this patient, you know, she had. A lot of issues with just like being on her own two feet and walking. She was I think a lot more bed bound at the time. And I think her family, I mean, she had a really great family support. I think that was one of the biggest things that mattered to her most was the connecting aspect because she lived in a house with her sister and her sister had like three kids who each were grown and had kids of their own. So it was a really big family that all connected together to help each other out. And there was one niece who did work in healthcare and she actually was the one I talked with and said, you know, one of the biggest things I find challenging for my aunt is that she just doesn't seem to be able to get up and on her own, not be able to be on her own two feet and walk around. And the other aspect was just trying to find good nutrition and support because the patient, unfortunately, was a little more underweight. And so kind of just talking through and just and using the questions at that point more as a guide versus like having it as like an interview process, but using them as a guide. One thing I'd asked that niece in particular was, well, what is the one thing or one specific thing that you would find most beneficial or would most matter to you for your aunt to get her care? What would you want to prioritize the most? And she had told me that she felt that her aunt would really benefit from just being able to walk around, be able to be on her feet, and also just have better nutrition. When I learned that, it was great because then what we do is our HBPC team At my time during residency, we did weekly meetings together and what we really found were, I mean, those were some of the best opportunities for me to go back to the team and share what I learned from the patient and the caregiver when I talked with them with these PPC conversations. And really share like what were the things that we could do to prioritize the needs that the patient wanted. And so we actually have a lot of great, I believe, partnerships with a lot of local community resources in Asheville. And one of them was getting um, some of the like nutrition type boxes or, you know, pretty much like they pre-pack like healthier foods. I believe the YMCA was the one that coordinated this program. And there was another organization, I believe at the time that did this, but we were able to connect the patient and her family with that program. And they were able to get like almost either weekly or monthly type deliveries of healthy foods. So they were getting like healthy fruits and vegetables that the the family could use to prepare meals. So that way the patient could get better nutrition. And then we were able to set her up with our occupational therapist and also get her the home health program and connect her with some physical therapy and occupational therapy needs as well. So it was great that that was our, the first thing that we learned and were the first things that we could do to help the family and help them provide some better support for the patient. So that was yeah. identified through PPC.
0: Yeah, these these are the types of things that don't always come out until you start asking about them and probing more about kind of what's going on in a person's life outside of the four walls of the clinic and part of the beauty of home-based primary care, but also part of the beauty of patient priorities care. And I guess bring, just to bring it back to pharmacy, I will give one other example, too, of you know, when you start asking people about what, what do you find burdensome? We ask you to do so many things as healthcare providers, check the blood sugar, go to specialist visits, have procedures on and on, get the labs drawn. And so many of those folks will tell us, I find my medications burdensome. I take too many. There are particular ones I don't get along with very well. And so a specific example was, you know, a patient that, just felt really crummy on her beta blocker, which was made perfect sense for her to be on based on, I think, ischemic heart disease. And again, part of the beauty of PPC, if you start applying guideline-based therapy to every single one of a patient's 20 chronic conditions, they quickly end up on a dozen, two dozen medications. So that's where it makes sense with the this really multimorbid population to bring it back to what is really important to them. And so we were able to do some outreach with a cardiologist and say, you know what, I mean, the reason that this beta blocker is recommended is to improve survival. And not that that isn't important, but it's not the top of her priority list. She wants to prioritize these other things, comfort, function, you know, the ability to have energy and get up and do things and connect with her family more than she wants to prioritize extending her life expectancy for as long as we can. So I think it gives us a really nice place to fall back on in terms of shared decision-making so that we know we're doing the right thing by the patient.
3: And that's great, Tasha. I love that whole idea, as many know, deprescribing is near and dear to me. So knowing that that's a factor in thinking about this, and I'm even thinking back on that first example of nutrition. And when we think about that, what are the meds doing too for someone's nutrition? Are they causing them to not want to eat? Is there dry mouth, dry throat, difficulty swallowing because of medicines? So I think, you know, having this really comprehensive look, at that, and in trying to whittle down those unnecessary medicines, I think is wonderful, and really why we need pharmacists on the on these teams. I think we take a very unique look at it and can help the the whole interprofessional team.
1: Absolutely, yeah, those are great That must have felt so good to be able to to have been a part of that intervention. You know, I feel like it's like a part of why what we do as senior care pharmacists. You know, it's so much more than just the medications. So thank you for those examples. All right, the last question I will ask you specifically about this one before we move on to some other areas is, was there something that surprised you about the results?
0: I'll start out, Aparna, just to say another thing that we haven't really talked about that we looked at with this study was sort of what is that taxonomy of goals? What What are the common themes that are important to this population, the subpopulation of older adults that's a little bit distinct from the general population of older adults and general kind of sicker, potentially more frail? What do those goals look like? And so with patient priorities care, we can typically link goals back to one of four value domains. Those include connecting with people, you know, faith communities, friends, family, etc., functioning or maintaining self-sufficiency and autonomy, managing health, which I think simply put is sort of like balancing quantity and quality of life, and then enjoying life. Just what are the activities that people derive joy from? So we tried to classify the goals. And as you can imagine, some of these goals fit into more than one of those categories. But there had been a paper published previously looking at more of a A fit, potentially more affluent population that was ambulatory and described their taxonomy of goals, and they ended up looking a little different. And I say that as somewhat of a surprise, although on reflection, it's pretty intuitive and makes perfect sense because what we found was that the most prevalent value that those goals connected back to was managing health. And if you think about this population being more complex with more chronic illnesses, things like connecting and enjoying life, unfortunately, kind of take a back seat to managing the health conditions that really stand in the way for these folks that just have debilitating shortness of breath or. Chronic pain, you know, problems with mobility that keep them from being able to connect with their grandkids. And those, that connection with the grandkids is equally important for both populations. But, and the home based population, at least what we found was that first and foremost focus had to be on managing those health conditions. It just was so, it's forefront in their minds. What do you think, Aparna?
2: I 100% agree with that, Tasha. I mean, I think it was just a little more, it it was quite interesting to kind of see that be more of the predominant category that most of our patients had identified with when we talked to them about what they found most important to them. I think some of the conversations when I think back on them, a lot of them, just to kind of add on, were also saying, you know, they lived with family members or, you know, mostly like sons and daughters who kind of took over a lot of their care, you know, helped with a lot of their, you know, IADLs, ADLs at the time. And I believe the patients themselves just kind of felt like they lost that sense of independence as well. And with that previous study that was conducted prior to ours, had shown, you know, that people had also categorized or found that functioning and self-sufficiency was important. And we found that too in our paper as well. But I think it is even though it, it was pretty hard to kind of put these different types of goals and what people identified most in like each bucket because they kind of all in a way align with each other, like connecting does align with being able to manage their health. And, you know, like Tasha said, being able to manage your health and be able to stand on your own two feet so you can play with your grandkids because they find connecting with their grandkids so enjoyable or just being able to, you know, be able to breathe again. So like one patient told us that he just wanted to be able to, you know, have better, control of his pain in his feet so he could just go outside so he can go watch the birds outside on his porch instead of just sitting on his chair looking at them out the window. And though that sounds like such a small thing, it just mattered so much to him to be able to do that. So we were able to kind of work on redoing his dosing of his medications, being able to provide him with better shoes to support him to be able to walk outside. So those were just things that I found were just really really eye-opening through these conversations
0: yeah I'll just chip in that for that guy uh who wanted to get out and watch the birds the, the next challenge was the squirrels so yeah. we, uh, <laughs> we actually got him a squirrel-proof bird feeder as part of he's
2: so yeah. sweet
1: oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me shift away from your study a little bit, and I'm just so curious to hear from both of you, your perspective on what would you say the most important lesson is that you've learned over your career so far? And I don't even know how far into your careers you are. So maybe you can share that with our listeners as well.
0: I am 11 years out of pharmacy school. Cool at this point. And this is actually the perfect forum to talk about this because the thing that I definitely find the most fulfilling and rewarding at this point relates back to exactly what we're talking about. And that is just the joy of getting to know what people really want out of their healthcare and sort of shedding the bonds of Some of the things that we live and die by in pharmacy school, you know, clinical practice guidelines and randomized controlled trials that were conducted in populations that don't include the people that we care for now as senior care pharmacists and really just embracing that uncertainty of living in the gray because it gives us this opportunity to connect back to what matters to people and and put that over and above anything recommended by the gold guidelines or the American Diabetes Association or, or whatever it might be. And then also just to say that geriatrics is such a team sport. And for students who are listening, who are all about like digging in and getting your hands dirty with medication management, I mean, that's something that Aparna and I both Really enjoy, but I've come to enjoy the stuff like prescribing a squirrel-proof bird feeder for <laughs> patients as <laughs> much, and and really kind of crossing swim lanes, learning how to be just a little bit of an occupational therapist and a little bit of a of a physical therapist, and and knowing just enough that we can all kind of link hands and circle around these really kind of vulnerable patients.
2: Oh, I agree. So much with Tasha. I'm sorry, just to add that I think that was the biggest joy. And though I'm only about three and a half years out of pharmacy school, I think like through residency and kind of my first year out being like an actual like post-residency clinical pharmacist has been, you know, really making sure there's just always an open stream of communication. And, you know, really not only when you learn one thing that your patient tells you that this is what their big ask and what their big want is out of their healthcare and with their providers and their team, that we honestly just take the time to share that with the provider if they're willing, you know, if we're able to just connect with them and say, hey, like, this is what I heard from your patient that they say is important. What do you think we can do about it to help them and achieve that care? So I think kind of building on to what Tasha said with like, The interdisciplinary approach, which is so big in geriatrics. And I mean, I think it's just really cool how much you can learn from each other and not just within our own realm as pharmacists, but from our friends who are physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs to our friends in the OT and physical therapy space to, you know, even speech pathology. Like, it's just amazing. And I've just like, Piece together a little things I've learned from each of them to be able to kind of share that with other with other patients I meet, and I think the other thing is you just never stop learning, and you can even learn a lot from your patients too, just by opening this dialogue and conversation, and you just kind of open up your eyes and ears just to kind of absorb more knowledge and just learning how to provide like better care for them. So that's been one of the biggest things I've learned so far.
3: Thank you for sharing that. So so I have to add in here that I just asked Kelly how many years out she is too, and she's 10, but I just added up all your years together, and I'm still beyond all of that, and it's 27 <laughs> years for me. <laughs> so, so it's 20 years before, and I'm, and I'm like just 27 years. So um, <sighs> but what I have to say is just as passionate, and I love hearing what you guys have to say about all of this your comments. It's just, we're all speaking the same language. And I love that about this. So, you know, living in the gray and thinking about others and learning and always learning, like these are all things that we pulled out just from this in the last minute or two. So, yeah. So, yes, I am living in the gray and I am still learning. So
1: (laughs) so on the first day of ASCP's annual meeting in San Antonio, Texas, ready to learn more this weekend. (laughs)
3: In in first time meeting too, we've we've emailed, but our first time meeting as well. So it's it's a neat journey, and that's what I tell everybody for sure. Yes, so.
1: I've been sitting here shaking my head yes to everything you guys are saying. So <laughs> just like preach, girl. Yeah. All right. <laughs> one last question. I know we're running out of time. I could just chat with you all for the whole day if we could. But <laughs> if you know, if money didn't matter, what is one study that you you would like to do?
2: I think I can try to tackle this one, although I'm. I will be honest, I'm still a novice in the space of research and just pharmacy practice and still getting my feet wet and learning each day. But, you know, I think like now I've had the opportunity to work in like different areas of practice and even in different settings. Like I've worked in the VA, I've worked in private sector. I mean, which has been really great. You see a lot of like similarities across the board with both settings. And then you can also see a lot of differences across the settings. But at the end of the day, it's always going to be, I think the common theme I see is just making sure you are open to communicate with your patients. And most importantly, just being able to provide the best and optimal care for your patients. And so just kind of based off that, I think this PPC template conversation has really inspired me to just kind of expand it further. So so it may not be as creative, but I think it'd just be great to even expand this even more into more the VA setting and just viewing it not only in like the home-based primary care setting, but even in like an ambulatory care setting where you have a lot of high risk patients, because a lot of the patients I work with nowadays are a lot of combat vets who have honestly seen, undergone a lot of things, have a lot of chronic care issues who may not qualify for our home-based primary care program. And so I've now been working and collaborating with the new geriatrician we have at our team to really try to find a way about how we can meet these patients where they are and provide them care when we're kind of limited to only being seeing them whenever they come to the clinic. And so I think it'd be cool to kind of see if this conversation template can be applied to those type of settings and seeing what we can do in our power with our resources. But I think there is some value and avenue there that we could do this kind of study and being able to measure out what the impact of the conversations we carry with our patients can be and if it does provide them quality care. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a value proposition to be made here with patients. Priorities Care. I think the quote-unquote drawback to it is that it takes time to get to know our patients on this level. Way easier to use a checklist handed to us by all of the specialists that put together these clinical practice guidelines. But I think all of us would argue that it is the most important conversation that we can have with our patients I think we've all drunk that Kool-Aid. I think payers, I think the C-suite, I think some of the people who hold the purse strings probably need to be convinced a little bit differently. So blowing this study up with, you know, a massive control group to show how much different care looks when you adhere with high fidelity to a process like this versus, you know, your typical guideline-based care would be huge huge, and, and could hopefully inform, you know, as we hopefully shift from that fee-for-service environment to more value-based payments, you know, how are we defining value? Hopefully not just in terms of what we can get someone's A1C down to or even how long they survive, but in terms of what actually values to the people that we're taking care of.
1: Yes. Yes. The quality of that life, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, listeners, we heard it from Aparna and Tasha. Let's make this a multi-center study. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. what does that yes. mean? Let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> All right, Aparna Krishnamurthy, Tasha Woodall. Thank you so much for talking to us today about pharmacist identification of older patient priorities in a home-based primary care program. And listeners, you guys can read this in the December twenty-two article of the Senior Care Pharmacist Journal. I'm Kelly Ulan. Thank you for listening in, Donna. Yeah, Bartlett. and I'm
3: Donna Bartlett. And thank you, Kelly. It's been a pleasure to sit beside you and do this podcast today. And thank you so much for our guests. We appreciate you. And thanks to our listeners. Yeah.
0: Thank our you. pleasure.
3: Thanks so much. Thank you so much.
0: You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews.